Welcome to the Inside OU Podcast, brought to you by New Balance of Edmond, featuring Keegan Renault from SoonersWire.com, powered by USA Today, and Brady Trantham. Hello, Brady. Bob Stoops here. Appreciate the great Sooner fan that you are and have been for all these years. Boomer Sooner. Welcome in. That was loud. Yeah. Oh, we will. I, he's going to keep that one in there, but that one came out of nowhere. Um, welcome in to a, another episode of the Inside OU podcast. I believe brought, still brought to by the Franchise Podcast Network. I'm making to get in trouble for that one. Allegedly. And we are here where we are typically on this night of the week at Vanessa House Brew Company down here on 8th Street here in Oklahoma City. Great atmosphere. I love... Uh, I love this place. You and I have done the podcast here together. Um, I am joined, though this is not Brady Trantham. Brady Trantham is bartending, actually. And Ryan Chapman is joining me. Now, contributor for the SI Sooners. Congratulations on that, by the way. I'm going to have to stop you right there, Keegan. Deputy editor, SI Sooners. There you go. You know, De- words. S- sorry. Words, yeah, sorry. So sorry. that was so that's part of your title so you get paid more money? Yes, so It's exactly. like one of those things where, like, an offensive coach comes in and he's just a wide receivers coach, but they're like, oh, yeah, he's co-OC, just so we Ex- can give him a little more cash. Yeah, I'm on the Bill Bedenboe track here. I'm trying to milk it for as much as I can. They were intense negotiations. I, uh, you know, flirted around with a few other schools. You know, hey, we could go get on that North Texas beat maybe, and they're like, no, 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 we'll, we'll give you the pay bump. Don't worry about it. Don't need to go through this theater. So, again, congratulations. Thank I, you. I know it's yeah, – once you get on this beat now, you'll understand some of the frustrations that people like me go through on a daily basis of trying to figure out what the heck is actually happening because this year – and it's continuing right now. So, we really don't know what's going on because we can't figure out what's actually happening in Norman. We can't figure out what's happening on the recruiting trail. Um, we can't do this. We can't do that. So – Regardless, we are here. It is the Thursday on the last podcast. We kind of went through the Cotton Bowl. We talked about some of the transfer portal stuff. Um, but on this one specifically, I just – and Brady himself – Brady is too. But, you know, we're just going to kind of go over the season. and Because I think it's important to take it into chapters. Because you had kind of the first part of the season ended in the, and everybody would agree in the quadruple overtime win over Texas. And then Oklahoma goes on a run. And then after the Oklahoma – until that Oklahoma State game. And then things kind of sputtered offensively the rest of the year. And then the final chapter is the Cotton Bowl and the lead-up to it and all that sort of comes from it. But it was just an interesting year, Ryan. I, I think from just the aspect of expectations, right? Expectations, you hear all preseason, you hear during camp, you hear this. The offensive line is going to be really good. You hear, oh, man, it's going to be great. We got a chance to have one of the better offensive lines we've had. Bill Biedenboe's hyping it up. I mean, if Bill Biedenboe's hyping it up, who knows what's really happening in practice. Um, but then it wasn't. And it just was a weird year offensively. And I think, you, you, again, you talked about it through chapters. You had the great moments of Spencer Rattler and the bad moments of Spencer Rattler in that first chapter in the Texas game and it going after. And then – you had the really, really good Spencer Rattler, and then you kind of had the, okay, yeah, what's kind of going on here? And then you had this. But overall, um, I just want to get your thoughts just originally on, on this season because I think it's it's just was a weird year, just so weird. 
Yeah, it's like really crazy how we got here. At the end of the year, after the Cotton Bowl and the lead-up to the Cotton Bowl, the discussion around this team was, can you name four teams right now, take records out of it, all that stuff, can you name four teams that are playing better football than the Oklahoma Sooners? And the answer is probably no. And you juxtapose that with, I remember, um, you know, doing a radio hit after the Iowa State game, sitting there going, look, the sky's not falling. You just have to remember that with everything that happened in the entire offseason between all the COVID stuff, losing your, you know, uh, biggest contributor at every level of the defense to the NFL. Then you talk about the opt-outs of Kennedy Brooks, Jalen Redman, all that stuff like is it just you know a bridge too far for this team of, of mostly freshmen and sophomores to, to put it together and truly make a run? So it's just wild to think that we were there at one point this season, and then after the Cotton Bowl, you're sitting there going, you know, if, if they redid the rankings and, and were maybe a little more lenient, if if you know Obi Obiallo doesn't cost the Sooners 14 points and Ames basically seven, yeah, don't let Brady talk you into that last one. Yeah, I look it. It, as it stands, Obi there's Oyal- maybe one receiver, two receivers in college football that are making that play right now. I'm just saying, Obi Oyalo, regardless, cost the Sooners a shot at overtime. At the worst, you win that game, you're, you're in a playoff. It, it was just a you know a wild roller coaster of a season. Not something that we're necessarily used to uh, following the Oklahoma Sooners because it's usually just you know you have to your your level of play has to be up here. I know this is not obedient, but you got to have elite play, and if you lose one game, it's over. Sky's falling, whatever. No, it, it was a a weird ride, a fun ride, and you know, kept us entertained for from beginning to end. So I want to get into that first chapter because I think it is important. Whenever you break this season down, is what what we saw in those first four games, specifically defensively. There were signs of it, and there were signs of it, and there were signs of it, but the tackling in Ames, the missed you know alignment, coverage bust against Kansas State, and then. Uh, you know, you, you have the Texas game where defensively really it looked great until the very end. And then it just took off. And I, I think it's just – I don't know, like, does Oklahoma look as good defensively if Ronnie Perkins is out for the whole season? I'm You know, I would still bet it still looks pretty good out there. and It sounds like we're going to find out. And I know this is the Inside of You podcast. We can't – I know we're reviewing the season – I don't have anything new to tell you on the Ronnie Perkins front that I can confirm, but I can tell you what we talked about on Tuesday. I think it's heading in that direction. So yeah. we can, I can kind of confirm a little bit about what's out there now. So regardless of that point, I don't know defensively if this group, it like people are like, oh man, Ronnie Perkins comes back and they're the best defense in college football. It's like, man, they were a top 10, top 15 defense even without him. Yeah, and – the guy that we're going to talk a lot about, I imagine two guys really, Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas, they had every opportunity that might not have necessarily been there had Ronnie Perkins been on the field to grow, develop, and become. Um, Nick Benito ended up being you know, named a first-team All-American by Pro Football Focus. Isaiah Thomas, Alex Grinch is openly campaigning for him to be the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Those guys take steps forward, sure, but, but you don't know if they're able to, to – achieve that level of play if Ronnie Perkins comes out. Now, who knows? You throw Ronnie Perkins out there against Missouri State, and he's the one that is, uh, you know, every offense is scheming toward him. Maybe those guys still run wild. But I think that laying that ground, that that foundation for 
we are bigger than just one player on that defensive side of the football, I think that's going to be really big heading to 2021 for the guys that do end up still being on campus just mentally because we are not long removed from this defense being one that was good until one big play happened and then it totally you know crumbles and the floodgates open. So I just think that more than anything, that mental development, knowing that you're more than just Ronnie Perkins and that secondary, you're more than just Trey Brown and the Cotton Bowl, things like that, I think that'll be immeasurably, you know, that kind of value can't put a statistic on it, but it'll be great for this team headed into 2021. And I think it's important to talk about them and how much they did grow up and this team did grow up over the course of the season, but I want to talk specifically about the part of the year that should get everyone excited. That run between the TCU game and the Kansas game by this team, and I'm not going to include the Kansas game. So I'm just looking specifically at the TCU game, and I'm specifically talking about the Texas Tech game. That's the team that that can go win a a championship next year. Right. That's a team that gets over the hump and goes and wins a playoff game. At no other point this season did I feel that way, even in the Cotton Bowl. And and anybody that's watched um, Patreon and to all the patrons that are listening to this as well and the people that can go and find the film review stuff, I know the first half's up. I promise you – I'm trying. I'm editing it on my own for the first time. It's taken me Good a minute luck. to get. It's taken me a minute. It's taken me a minute to get used to it. So, but I want to say this in the Cotton Bowl again. I, have you watched it? Have you watched the video I put up? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So, at, at, at you'll see it. Is that when it becomes seventeen to nothing? It should have been twenty-one nothing. You know, whenever later on in the game, whenever it, whenever it got to, I believe. Um, twenty and whenever it got to seventeen to thirteen in the game, or twenty four to thirteen, it really should have been about forty one to ten, about thirty eight, forty one, forty five, ten, somewhere in that range, and it should have been a lot better. So Oklahoma during that middle stretch of the year between Texas Tech and the TCU game, they executed offensively and defensively at such a high level, and I know you got to take into competition, but they executed at such a high level. That's what gives me confidence about Oklahoma next season is that they have shown that they can execute at a high level. Now, did they have some COVID issues in the Oklahoma State game? Was there? That's where we start getting into the Spencer Rattler conversation. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma showed this season why, and the Cotton Bowl is a great indicator of it, is that they were head and shoulders better than them. They did what they were supposed to do. But could they have put up 80? Could they have put up 90? And I, I think, and again, you've heard me say this. You've seen me say this on Twitter Oklahoma's in a, a historic offense away. They have the number one quarterback for next year. They're a historic offense away from being a a one of the better teams in college football, if not the best team in college football. Like mathematically, that is a fact. Like you saw what 2019 LSU did. 2019 LSU had the I've put it out on Twitter. They had the 18th ranked defense in SP plus in, anal- in terms of the analytics efficiency. Sorry. Oklahoma had the 15th-ranked defense this year. They had the third-ranked offense opposed to LSU that you're having the number one-ranked offense. And we'll we'll get more into this. I want to get your thoughts on this real quick before we swing it over to some position grades. How do how do you, how do you like how how do you evaluate? Because Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State 41 to 13, right? Right. They look really good against Iowa State early. They looked really good in the Cod Bowl. But how do you how do you evaluate that? Because it's. It's such different because I know when people hear Brady and I talk and it's people are like, man, they're hard on them. They're hard on this and that. But, like, how, how does someone that's an outside viewer that doesn't view it like you know how I view it? Yeah, games, exactly. How, how, how do you foresee the Oklahoma – how do you see how the Oklahoma State, really the back half of this season went? So when, when I'm looking at it, 
you know, though I, outside view of this podcast, like I'm looking at it as what is the standard from Lincoln Riley's mouth at this university? It is not to make the playoffs. It is not to make a semifinal. It is to win a semifinal game, win a national championship. So I'm looking for basically here's the perfect game. No one's going to be perfect, but how close can Oklahoma get to that? And that's why I think it was really interesting. You've you know documented some of the things that Spencer Rattler may have been missing at times, and then so it, it's this weird. Jumble. Oh, I have I have I have already yes. been labeled as the hater. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Ke- Keegan Renault. I compared him to Patrick Mahomes, and people are saying, yeah, yeah. that's a terrible thing, Keegan. He's only won a Super Bowl. Okay, let's yeah. let's back off. Yeah, I, I compare a guy. I compare a guy to Patrick Mahomes, and people think that. I say one negative thing about him, and I hate the guy. Yeah, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he's only a first ballot Hall of Famer already by some. So, But when I'm looking through it, it, I find it really weird because there's not one thing I can blame it on. I feel like there's there's some Spencer Rattler in there, okay? And then when Spencer Rattler does make the correct decisions, you have some just back-breaking, untimely drops. I'm thinking Cotton Bowl when – you know, that's when they should have really been extending. There are some some balls that Spencer Rattler, yeah, they're contested catches. Yeah, No, those are drops. It's physical, but, like, that's what you expect at Oklahoma. You should get that. And then there's times where, you know, I, I'm not here to say that Lincoln Riley needs offensive quarter or anything like that, but there are individual instances where the play calling gets a little cute. Um, so I, I well, think that I it's just like, like a – let me, let me cut, cut in and say because that's important to talk about because it is part of it. Like – Oklahoma struggles in the, the from the Oklahoma State game on. Oklahoma struggles were exactly what you're saying, a mix of everything. And it, Lincoln's play calling has a big factor in that. We put out some graphics after the Big 12 championship game. The counter was not working. I get it. It's your bread and butter. You have a lot of pride in running that play well. And I credit to you. You guys have developed a, a play that uh, not as not normal. It's tough to run. But Oklahoma perfected it, and I get it why you want to keep running it. But damn it, whenever you're running eight, nine, ten yards a pop, running zone, just keep running zone. So yeah, it's not as much for me about the cuteness. It's just more about understanding what's working, and I get it. These guys got to get better at the schemes. They got to get better at these concepts because that's what's going to carry them next season. But what you're saying about Lincoln, I think it's important to like. He is a part of it. Like again. There's a play in the cut. There's a play in the cod bowl. A lot of people talk about. It. I put it out on Twitter. It's one of the greatest throws I've seen a quarterback make that ended up being an incompletion. It's right. Spencer Rattler. It's third and two. Run the football. Yeah. Now, granted, could Spencer Rattler have made a play and gotten a first down and probably should have? Absolutely. But it's third and two. Just run the ball. You know. And so that's it's part of it. And um, I, I, I want to catch off because you know you were going through. All of that, but it's so important to note that Lincoln is a part of the part of the reason why things did kind of sputter there at the end. Well, and this has been something that it's not just a this year problem. This is every big game, every time Lincoln Riley goes up against a great coaching staff. What we know about Lincoln Riley, Keegan, you say this all the time. You know, if Lincoln Riley has anything more than a week, you should be hammering the first, first half, half line. Yes, yes, because Lincoln Riley, you know, what he scripts out is going to be great. And then, you know, at halftime, the adjustments. I don't know if if Riley and the offensive staff are just waiting to see what the the defense does, but it's like clockwork. Tail into the first half, 
until the very last possession, you're going to sputter out, and those you're probably good to bet on a punt or two right out of the break because it, it just takes a little while for this offensive coaching staff, once they get off script, to get it back going. So um, that, that's something that Lincoln has to work on. That's something that that coaching staff has to work on, and this is where you come back in and say, how old is Lincoln Riley? He's still one of – he is still – one of the youngest head coaches in college football, despite all the success he's had in Norman. So that's not something that you're like, oh gosh, you know what's going on. But th- that when you set the standard of historic offenses, like you're going to get, like I think you deserve some of the criticism when when you've been a little bit of the reasons why it's not been chugging along. And and, and again, I, I think this is the hardest thing is that we all know, and not we all, but the people that listen to this podcast at this point know well enough that. Oklahoma's offense is as quarterback friendly as it can get. We will, I can walk you through it. It is, if I can walk you through it, some random guy that kicked in high school and did this, I'm kidding. Anyways, I do, I work, put, put a lot of time in Kickers it. But my point, Keegan. my point is, is that it, it's very quarterback friendly. And I get there's a lot of information that has to be processed. And there is part of it that it was just, kind of was weird to see that for the second straight year you have a quarterback at Oklahoma that either doesn't understand the playbook completely, doesn't understand what he's looking for, or can't read the middle of the field. It's the second straight year, and I know it's a single-year guy, but if it's a quarterback-friendly system, you know, why, why aren't those things getting done? So I think that there is, you know, some of that to point towards Spencer, and I've that's well-documented. That doesn't mean I don't think he can't get there. That doesn't mean anything. That just means is it's like what you said, and it's what we said on this. People have heard me say this. It's what is your expectation? My expectation for Spencer Rowler is for him to be the first quarterback taken to the 2022 NFL draft. So why would we not hold him to that standard? And I know right. he put up great numbers. I know this and I know that. But could he have been better? Absolutely, thousand percent. And I think it all kind of culminated with you know run offensive line didn't have continuity most of the year they didn't run they didn't run block well they passed block pretty good didn't run block that well you don't have Ramondre Stevenson you don't have a running back that can make a free hit or miss and there you go that's how you become that's how you have offensive problems and Oklahoma still had the third best offensive college football this year well and it's that's the thing is but that, that, and that's what back to what I was just saying yeah like it's what's this expectation what's the standard and whenever this is the second worst efficient offense that Lincoln Riley's had outside of 2015, it does you, – you see – now people see why it's so important for Oklahoma to be in executing and not to be perfect but to execute. If Oklahoma would just execute at a high level offensively from the start of the game to the finish of the game, it, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Well, and Keegan, that's not just our standard for this football team. That is what Lincoln Riley's standard is. Yeah. If you ever listen to Lincoln Riley, that's apparently obvious. Um, I don't remember who asked if it was you, um, but at one point Jeremiah Hall was asked, like, you guys have been conditioned, the fans have been conditioned to score a touchdown on every drive. What happens to you guys when you don't? Is there frustration? And Jeremiah Hall said, guys, it's my expectation that we score a touchdown every – so, like, that is what this team aspires to be, and – Here's the the long and short of it, Keegan. What did everyone say when Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray were running rampant on Owen Field? Man, if Oklahoma had an average defense, just an average defense, this team's winning a national championship. Guess what? The defense in Norman this year was well above that. It was an elite defense at times. It was really good. 
um, from start to finish outside of, you know, the, the tackling in Ames and, and the second half at Kansas State. Um, so outside of that, this was a very good defense, and this team didn't even make a playoff. So you're going to have to go back to the other side of the football and do a little bit of, I don't want to call it soul searching because that's a little too dramatic, but, you know, just kind of figure out what went wrong and why it's not playing up to its standard. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, you're talking about the defensive side of the ball, and I know we just got kind of through just recapping the offensive side, and I think it's important to talk about the defensive side of the ball in terms of these chapters. You go through the Texas game. Texas game in the first three quarters, you look great. Um, But even those three quarters, Texas is missing guys. They're missing blocks. They're not run fitting right you know texas isn't playing good football not playing mensa yeah well that's history now so (laughs) um but at the end of the day defensively it's just how much better this defense is getting was getting game by game by game and once ronnie perkins came back and i I, again I, i know i said this earlier does he change it? Does he elevate Oklahoma from a top 10 defense to maybe a or top 15 to a top 10 or top 5? Yes. I mean, you have a guy like Ronnie Perkins, absolutely. But it wasn't his talent that changed things, it felt like. It was his presence. And they just they flew around. They tackled well. They def- covered well. Woody Washington's making plays that All-American DBs make in the Cotton Bowl and, and then in the Big 12 Championship game. DJ Graham looks like a guy – um, it's weird to think about that even with Ronnie Perkins likely leaving, potentially, I guess, would be the better word to say. Maybe likely. I don't know. Who's going to hold us accountable for this one? But with him leaving, I'm more worried about Oklahoma's offense next year than I'm worried about Oklahoma's defense. What world are we living in? I know. this. It's, uh, you know, Sooner fans are about to go to heaven because they're just like what this is this is all we've wanted for years and years and years but ronnie perkins leave like i think this opens up a very interesting conversation and i don't want to dig too far into this we're really getting to offseason content here but with what isaiah thomas did with how paragon winfrey and ellison came along there in the middle of the defense i almost wonder if it's possible i know the talk with jalen redmond was slide him inside things like that well now you don't have you don't have to have him inside you just say hey figure out where we think Jalen Redmond fits best into the defense, where he's just going to be that dude and just put him back out there. So it's one of those things that, yes, he's not Ronnie Perkins, but you're not necessarily having that conversation anymore. You can slide him back out and just say, okay, one elite pass rusher. Congratulations. Go to the NFL. I think they think they have another one in Norman and a guy that was opted out this year. So uh, you could just plug and play. It's not going to be the same or anything like that, but just imagine another year Benito, another year Thomas, all that stuff, plus that secondary coming along. Like things could be scary next year in Norman. I think again the most important most important thing though to note is that I don't think Jalen Redmond's a defensive end. And guess what? Number ninety five is pretty damn good outside. Yeah, he's not bad. Right. So not I, bad at I all. think, and I, I pointed this out. You're gonna have I say it's almost a defensive end. If this, if obviously, I know we're kind of touching, and I'm I'm really beating around. I. There's obviously indications that I'm aware of. I just don't have it confirmed on my end. So with that record, well, on the, with that saying, well, I'm going to go under the impression Ronnie Perkins isn't playing at Oklahoma right now or for next season. You go Isaiah Thomas at defensive end. You got Jalen Redmond defensive tackle. You got Perry on Winfrey and Nose, and you've got Nick Benito on the edge. I think again, Oklahoma is going to be just okay. So with that being said, I think we've gotten in the defense quite a bit. I've gone on in my last podcast about David Aguebu and the potential main crush I have there. Um, but I think, you know, this is something Brady wanted to do, and, and it's important because 
you know, heading in the spring, like we need to see progress from where these kind of grades are at that we're grading these people. For sure. And uh, again, I, we are at Vanessa House here recording a podcast live with not a huge group of people, one group of people here. It's a COVID COVID, uh, COVID season. It's, uh, just, it's just bizarre that, you know, Brady's just standing right over there. He's, he's working really hard. We're over here drinking beer, enjoying it greatly. Yeah. Just like oh, what? Yeah. I'm just like, I feel like I've invaded the pod. I'm just like, all right, dude. So before we get into these grades, I just want you to know, my grades will probably be a little bit lower than y'all's, which is should probably what it should be. Right. So I just want to get right into this. I'm going to go and give out my quarterback one first because I think it's important. Okay. A B plus. Interesting. Because I think, and I've pointed this out, there's a difference between being an elite quarterback and being the best quarterback in college football. We've seen it. We get it. We know what it looks like. And there are steps there that has to be taken. Did Is, he gonna, is Spitzer Riley got a chance to be a – Again, the number one pick in next year's draft, yes. Does he have a chance to be a top five pick next year? Yes. Is he going to be a top 15 pick? Yes. Spencer Rattler is going to be all those. Trust me, I am well aware of that. But getting there, getting there, it's going to – there's stuff that he's got to continue to prove on tape that he understands before he goes and runs a system in the NFL that, as we were starting to see with Tua Tagovailoa, it's a little more difficult to run offenses in the NFL than it is in college. For sure. So – it's uh he's gonna be put in some tough situations next year, um, some really really good games in the Big Twelve. I know we'll get into that on the next podcast, but man, I'm excited to see what the Big Twelve is gonna look like next year. So I've got a B plus for Spencer Rattler. He got better as the season went on, and then these last like four games, man, just not rub me or discourage me or anything. It's just, it's there, just it's there. Take it, take it. It's there, and make the right read. It's there. I promise. And trust your pressure and. Step up in the pocket and do all these things. So, uh, floor is yours, and then I'll get into Brady's after. So I know you, you had a, you know a warning, all that stuff. I also had a B plus for a lot of the same reasons. My biggest thing is just Spencer Rattler, and this is something that's going to come with playing games and playing games under Lincoln Riley. Like remember, he didn't have a spring where he's actually working out his QB one things like that. But there were so many situations, and look, anyone that's a that's a Patreon subscriber, anyone that's you know followed any of Keegan's work, this is not going to be a newsflash to you. But there are so many times where Rattler wants to push the ball downfield, and it's just like, okay, if you just take that under route, you're going to pick up the first down, you're going to live to fight another day, and you're going to move the chains, keep your defense on the sideline, and you've got another chance to score a touchdown. This is very reminiscent of. Um, you know, Baker's second year, they start out one and two, and the frustration is just that Baker wanted to hit the home run every single play against Houston, same against Ohio State. Then it looked like he mellowed out a little bit and realized, okay, just just run the offense. Run the offense. It's Lincoln Riley's offense. It's going to move up and down the field if you do what he wants him to do. So, uh, like, obviously you can't go lower than a B-plus, I feel like, with just the arm talent that, that Spencer Rattler has. But, like you said, between the ears there, there's just a little bit more development that needs to go. And and uh, I think that, uh, you know, he has every opportunity to make that leap. Brady Trantham says that Spencer Rattler gets an A. He learned from the benching, cleaned up his turnovers. The sky is the limit. Well, he wasn't benched. He was just put in timeout. So. But yeah, according to Lincoln, he actually wasn't benched. So, or Spence Rattler on his Instagram after the game. It, regardless of that, running backs. Interesting year. You kind of have to grade it out from the beginning and then 
figure out how much you want to weigh Ramondre Stevenson into this conversation. It was partial to the running backs that they were kind of the issue. A lot of it was on the offensive line. But for me, I think the running backs played okay. Like, I think that they pass people, like, don't understand how well they pass protected this year, which is so important. So I'm going to give them a B. I, I think that Oklahoma has had better running backs, and they will have better running backs in the future. But this group was hindered a lot by the continuity of this offensive line, the lack of push. Again, Kennedy Brooks is going to maybe be the Oklahoma's number one yards per carry running back in the history of the program. No big deal. Like, that's how good the offensive lines were playing when he was there. So it's the, they can get these running backs that think are a little bit at fault. I don't think they're a lot of bit at fault, so they're going to put them in the middle at B. Yeah, I, I gave him a B minus. Um, very similarly, I just – the two losses, it's one of those things that it's hard to hold it against them that Ramondre Stevenson is not there to pick up the tough yardage, but you only had one guy who was, was able to, to do anything in that short yardage. I understand a lot of that's on the offensive line, but you also just didn't have the home run threat really – um, from this running back group ever. I, I know that everyone popped off for for a huge gain against Florida who didn't this year, but it, that was the other thing too is that you're used to having good running back play, but also you know you get two or three broken tackles down the field, and, and we've seen Samaj P. Ryan, Trey Sermon, Joe Mixon, Kennedy Brooks scamper into the end, so you just didn't have that from that group this year. So, so I dinged him a little bit for that as well, rolled him with a B-minus. Brady has also gives him B minus from Andre Stevenson missing half the year hurt the offense and team. Once he came back, he was an All-American level back. Seth McGowan needed a spring and wasn't ready. Pledger was solid but had a ceiling. Inconsistent O-line didn't help. So there you go on that. The H-backs, I will go with Brady first, and I think I am in agreement with him. They they get an A, maybe higher than that. Jeremiah Hall, for, this is from Brady, Jeremiah Hall was a security blanket and became a poor man's Dimitri Flowers. Stogner's absence following his injury says a lot about his importance. I love Mikey Henderson. Braden Willis stepped up. I'll say this. Jeremiah Hall's blocking this year saved Oklahoma a lot. I mean, if, if he couldn't block the way he did, um, Oklahoma's going to be in a world of hurt. And then you add in Austin Stogner and his presence, and you notice things didn't go well with the quarterback as consistently once Hans Stogner came out. So right. his importance, obviously, he was super important, had some big drops this year, which was a little weird. Um, drops are, I guess, were the theme for Oklahoma's offense this season. Um, but, again, Braden Willis, whenever his time was called, he made plays. Mikey Henderson, we've already – I've put this out on Twitter. We've already started the campaign for him to be the number one running back at Oklahoma before his time's done. So we'll we'll get there. What do you, What's your thoughts, Ryan? I had A-, minus. all the same things that you guys said. The minus just came from the fact that Braden Willis looked no fault of his own but just wasn't able to make, make it to the field for the first, what, three, four games really. And then the drops from Stogner kind of dinged a little bit. But everything else you said, spot on, totally agree. All right, Brady did decided not to give a grade for the wide receivers, but I'm gonna going to highly say that the drops were, would weigh a lot in his grading, and the fact that you know it didn't seem like there was a huge deep threat this year, except for Marvin Mims, which is obviously a concern. Wow. Marvin um, Mims in the outside of the first quarter. True, that's also true. So, um, you know, with the receivers this year, it's just so weird, just because I see the game a little bit differently, and like. I think there were times guys were open and they weren't found. 
you know? Right. I, I think there was times that plays could have been made and they weren't. I don't think route running was an issue. I don't think blocking was a huge issue. I don't really think this. I don't think that. I th- I'm going to give the receivers a B. Okay. And I'm – I again, I this probably should be lower than what it is, but I just don't foresee, you know – like looking ahead next season, I don't think we're going to be sitting here talking about man the wide receivers are a problem. I think right. that's going to be a twenty twenty issue, and that's it. Yeah, I w- I went with a C plus. Now look, the, these these things are unit grades basically. Like the receivers are contingent on your quarterback play. I get that, but another thing that concerned me, which I I don't think it'll be a concern once Spencer Rattler is seeing the game a little bit better, is kind of like what I alluded to. It felt like guys could have a quarter where they were dominant, but it didn't feel like anyone really had like entire games like you felt like you couldn't really rely on a Theo Weiss going into a game to be like this guy's gonna give you four quarters of you know third down going to him same thing with Marvin Mims kind of disappeared a little bit after the first few possessions of each game and then of course the drops what was it was it nine 13 not 13 and nine of those were touchdowns I believe no Graded? That's thirteen touchdowns. Thirteen. Okay, there you go. That's yeah. by Keegan Renault's grading. Yeah, that's uh. So it doesn't include the second Obiobiallo then. That is not a drop. No. Okay. Yeah. Still, that is a whole lot. That's a whole lot of points off the board. I understand that on a bunch of those drives they still scored touchdowns anyway, but uh, you're not always going to be in that position. And like I said, grading this team based off of where they want to be, you cannot you cannot get into a college football playoff semifinal and have a drop, take a touchdown off the board, and, and turn that into a field goal or even a punt and, and expect to win those games at a high clip. So C-plus for me for the wide receivers. Okay. And, I, again, Brady did not give a grade. Um, so we're going to go with Brady's first along the defensive line. He gives them an A-plus, and he says, and as you guys know, did we miss the offensive line? Am I just No, we did not. I, completely, I just completely skipped over it. But – since I'm on the D-line, I'll leave it here. Perfect. And we'll go back to the offensive line. Perfect. So defensive line, Brady says it's an A-plus and football erection engage. Brady I would them give, is 6 to midnight. I would give this defensive line not an A-plus but an A because the depth didn't come on until the year went on. Like, right. Like Josh Ellison wasn't making the plays he was making at the end of the year. Corey Roberson wasn't making the plays he was making at the end of the year. So I'm going to give them an A for that. But obviously, this is a starting defensive line. When you include Ronnie Perkinson, it's one of the best. And no, I mean, I got to be careful how I say this. It's they this defensive line because it just sounds so homer to say that they were the best in college football. But it, I damn think that they were if they weren't the best i think they were the deepest well sure but just overall they just man they just every game came in came out up in Ames against kane state and norman i mean those games people were like oh well they'd get a ton of pressure well, turn on the tape they got plenty of pressure right in those games so um i'd give them an a i just think it came along really i think it came along slower than what they would have anticipated so um and i'll flip over to you for defensive line uh defensive line i went with an a instead of an a plus specifically because like you said the progress throughout the season was great but there were plenty of times especially in Ames, in that first matchup with iowa state that they they wreak havoc they create the pressure they're in the backfield it should be a sack 
and it's not. Or Perrion Winfrey, I, I think he is still wandering around out the back of the end zone in, in Jerry World off of uh, that Brock Purdy pump fake. So that, that would be the one thing is that they created enough pressure to have a lot more sacks than I think they actually tallied. So that, for me, if we're splitting hairs, difference between an A and an A-plus of that D-line. Yeah, and we can flip back over the offensive line real quick. And I, I'll, I'll start with mine. I, I think that this offensive line, were they were they good? Yes. Were they great? No. Were they average? No. They were just good. And that's not the standard Oklahoma. Um, obviously had problems with left tackle again this season for the second straight year, which is wild. Um, right guard remained a weak link. Left guard was a weak link at times. Center was a weak link at times. Right tackle up until the last two games was solid all year. It just was weird. I mean, whenever I think about what Oklahoma's offensive line is going to be in the future, is it does it have for me? Does it vision anything like the last two offensive lines for Oklahoma? It really doesn't, and it's just a little weird to think and say like, but. That 2017 group was so nasty. That 2018 group, even Creed that year, was so nasty. I mean, they were throwing dudes around, and we just haven't seen that. Now, Marquise Hayes did it here at times this season. Was it consistent? No. So, for me, this offensive line is going to get probably the harshest grade of them all, and it will be a C plus. So... This is not great audio, you know, podcast here. That that uh, I also gave them a C plus because nice. the that's the standard. That not only is the Oklahoma offense going to be historic, but this Oklahoma offensive line is just going to produce NFL talent at every single spot. I didn't see that this season. I saw that at center. I saw that at right tackle. Like that. That's what I didn't see all year long. They were fine in pass pro for the most part, but this was a team that even against Missouri State wasn't. There, there just weren't massive running lanes, things like that. I know it's the first game of the year, but you're, you're playing a high school team, basically. Like, things like that. Um, and just the penalties, the penalties that kill, and the times the penalties came, drive killers, um, taking points off the board constantly. Um, but we saw that all the way up into the Cotton Bowl. You, you had a, a holding penalty that uh, took seven off the board and you had to cash them for three. Like, that stuff has to, has to get mopped up this offseason if the Sooners want to compete for a national title next year. So and Brady's was a B-minus, far too inconsistent run blocking or pass blocking. Peaked at somewhere between the 15 and 16-0 lines. Good, but not great. Hindered the offense during the Wolves. They went in versus Oklahoma State, Texas, and Iowa State. So we went over the defensive line. We'll go straight to the linebackers here. The linebackers for me get a, it's an interesting grade because I love the potential. I talked all season about how close Brian Osamoa was to putting it all together. He never got there, which is a little disappointing. Did he continue to show signs? Yes. And then Deshaun White. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, with that being said, I, I think whenever we're talking about this linebacker group, it's about what David Igwebu can become, and it's really, really exciting. But, again, this is a group that underwhelmed for me. Florida, if they would have had their full roster and they're throwing to the running backs out of the backfield and Oklahoma's having to play man coverage on Cal Pitts, I mean, Lord help. Well, The linebackers were my biggest worry heading into that game. Until everybody opted out, and then once everybody opted out, I it, we've talked, we've discussed this on this podcast. We knew what was going to happen. So linebackers for me get a C plus. 
Another one? We tied again? C plus. Yeah. You know, right the, it's, the, this unit has the talent to be more than what they were this season. It was my biggest problem with it. Like this season, were they a net negative? For the most part, no. But I, they were just kind of there. You know what I mean? Like it, it, they weren't costing this defense, things like that. And my thing is, they have the talent to be good at linebacker. They, they just weren't for most of the season. Very hit or miss between Deshaun White all year long. So, yeah, a C-plus for me, just a, again, based off of if you're looking for an area where this defense can take a jump next year, improve linebacker play along with what that defensive front's going to do. And I think you're talking about this defense even, you know, maybe not playing with Ronnie Perkins, taking that jump from really good to, to one of the nation's best. Brady has the linebackers as a B, solid. Nothing flashy, but did their job. Not too many instances of missed tackles or busted coverages that continued over and over, chindering in the right direction with awesome O-A. He spelled it exactly like that. I see what he did there. Yeah, that was very clever. So moving on to the secondary, and I actually I'm, I'm going to start with Brady's because I think he's going to give the highest grade between both of us. He gives the secondary B+. He said they went from a D following Iowa State loss to a strength of the defense. Hashtag, of course, Mike's guys stepped up. Young guys look better than any group of DBs I can remember at OU, which I, I, I agree to a lot of that. But it's hard to take, really, the Texas Tech. Before Texas Tech, it's hard to take that out of the equation for me. So, I, again, I think the secondary, were they good? I think they were better than the linebackers over the course of the season. So, they're going to get a B-minus for me. So, again, I think it's extremely important to note that this group did hinder Oklahoma. Were they good at the end of the season? Absolutely. Did Texas miss some throws? Did TC miss some throws? Did, God, my God, did Texas Tech miss some throws? Yes. Did Spencer Sanders miss some stuff? Yes. But that happens when you're a defensive line play the way, the way it did. So I'm going to give the secondary a B minus. I gave the linebackers a C plus. I gave the defensive line an A, and that's going to wrap up my defense. Ryan, what do you have for the secondary? Yeah, what you hit on there at the end there, the defensive line play made it really hard for me. I went back and forth through the entirety of the Bs trying to land on it. I decided to go just at a B, not a B plus, not a B minus, just a B. Um, I was really pleased with toward the end of the year. It seemed like once Trey Norwood came back and they realized that, you know, he's going to be all right. They can rely on him. He got that two interceptions, two interceptions in Lubbock, right? Believe so. Yes. Yeah. So once he got that, I feel like that really turned the tide for the unit as far as mentally, whatever block they had, Pat Fields dropping every ball in Ames, Buki having one hit the turf at Ames. Like whatever mental block they had, it was clearly gone and they were able to make plays. Then you pair that with, the young guys coming on, um, your, your DJ Grab, your Woody Washington, like all of that, you, you pair those two with Trey Norwood, all have the ability to be ball hawking defensive backs at times to actually turn around and be in position to make a play. I, I think about really that um, interception that Woody Washington had of Kyle Trask in the end zone. Like two years ago, a, a Kerry Cook secondary, that's a nice incompletion where it just hits him straight in the back in the numbers and you're just going. It happened earlier in the year. Yeah. Like, like you're just going guys what, what are you doing so um seeing that progression and the the play of the youth gave, gave it a b for me what Brady didn't include on this though was special teams and i think it is important i don't know if you have included but i do think it's important to no, punting was a problem at times this year kicking again was kind of a problem at times but it really wasn't gay burkage's sophomore slump was better than um honeycutt's 
and definitely Austin Seibert's. But was he better than Jimmy Stevens? That's the real yes. question. Yes. <laughs> yes, that was an emphatic yes from Brady Trantham as well. So that was Brady Trantham who just joined the Inside of the podcast while he's working. So shout, shout out, out to, to Vanessa House for allowing him to do such things. Um, but special teams, again, I think it's important to note that they can get better at punting. Kickoffs were fine. You had the big kickoff return against Iowa State, but for the most part, that was all bottled up. Kickoffs at the end of the year got a lot better. Beamer Bowl, I think, is going to be a big part. I guess, I well, I guess Ryan Doherty took over a lot of those. Yeah, Doherty duties. Ball. Yeah, respect. Um, at the end of the year. But then kicking. Gabe Burkage is going to be just fine, guys. Like He missed five, six kicks this year. I brought, like, maybe more, maybe seven. That's it, though. Like, out of, and he attempted, like, 650 orders. Yeah, in Oklahoma. Like, two, two of those, he specifically, he was put in an awful spot. Like, that's one of those where you send your kicker out and say, have fun. Like, that one at the end of the first half in Ames, you're just like, if you make it, great. If not, we tried. Like, uh, it's hard for me to put that on Burkich. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. And to kind of wrap this up, what, do you, what would you grade this team? Because of the journey that we all went on together, that's what makes it so hard. Because at different points in the season, you're, you're giving them an A um, through that you know stretch, talking about Texas Tech. Obviously, the sky is falling the first few games of the season. I, I, ended, I would end giving them probably a B because they were playing really good football. But the, the end product, if you just go down their roster, even with the opt-out and stuff before the season, you go down their roster and you go, wow, look at all this talent here, here, and there. You would, you know, they probably underachieved in that first half of the season. So I would go with a B. You saw the glimpses of it, like we've said. It wasn't consistent. Um, the losses are hard to overlook, things like that. And, again, all these grades are based on where Oklahoma, you know, views themselves as and where they want to be. So for a lot of teams, this is a good year. For Oklahoma – you get two losses, a Cotton Bowl win, and a B is your rebuilding year. I think people would take that. I'd, I'd give them a B plus. I'd, I'd give them a hell an A minus, and I'll tell you why. Oklahoma did something this year that has in, they've won six straight Big Twelve championships. They did something this year that hasn't been done since 1999. They lost two games in the back to back in the regular season, and they bounced the. F- you know what back Oklahoma in 2014 with lack of leadership and a young team cratered right Oklahoma in 20 2011 have a couple guys get hurt crater 2012 into the season crater 2009 2009 well I mean, that defense was stupid good if well, you you may yes. not go back and well remember that, I but. I was I uh, froze my butt off in Lincoln that year for one of the the, the six worst, interception game yeah one of the most disgusting football games offensively you'll ever watch but Indomitian Sioux plus that defense was fun but your crit they they also could have opened their own wing at any hospital that year so yeah so but I think it's interesting I think this team this season they. It's very 2013-ish, 2016-ish, very – but it just felt – it's like, man, if the light would just come on for these guys in that night in Lubbock, I thought – like, Tech's not a very good football team. They proved on the road in Lawrence that last game that they're not a very good football team. Also, RIP Yost. Yeah, the David best, The best game week Google search every year. And uh, so – but I think it's important to – 
kind of take a step back, take a deep breath, and you think about what this team accomplished in a pandemic. They didn't lose another game after losing the second one. They could have just said, screw it, we're done. I probably would have said, screw it, I'm done. I have said a screw it, I'm done. <laughs> I, uh, I think everyone but that team um, is just like, nah, I'm good. So it's in Iowa State as well, Matt Campbell. F- fucking love that guy. He'll have to put that one out, Brady. But, God, that did you see the video I posted on uh, Twitter? Did you see his postgame speech? Uh-uh. Oh, it's classic. Is is it uh, classic. everything you'd want? Well, it, it it's one of those things where – It just, I don't know if it's his whole speech. It obviously is an excerpt from it where he goes, guys, we just effing won. We just beat the F out of Oregon. We just won the effing Fiesta Bowl. It's like, I love this guy. It's like, he knows he's never done anything like this before and he's just living his living life. Look, here's my. And the people that are holding him accountable for the actions in the Big 12 championship game, what if you were coaching at Kansas and Texas is playing and you have to, it's like 2009 or something or whatever and. You know, people think Texas is getting a leeway into the BCS championship game. Look, my my only uh, – that's not even my one gripe with, with Matt Camp. My only gripe with that is that was a little schizophrenic coaching job, I felt like, because in, in, on one hand you're yeah. – <laughs> on one hand you're not going for it on fourth down. You're trying to say you belong. Then on the other hand, you're losing your mind. Schizophrenic coaching yeah. job. And that poor, poor referee. Uh, my only problem with Matt Campbell is, God, the way he folds the bill of his hat, bro – I can't do it. Oh, I can't wow. do it. That just happened while we were on uh, this podcast. Yeah, uh, can't we, do it. We will. Uh, I don't know if you just saw what just popped up on your timeline or not, but uh, I'll let you take a gander at that. But uh, yeah, okay. Um, just in the air of the last two days, that is appalling. All right. So to finish up the Inside OU podcast this week, we have about ten minutes here. Um, I do want to think it's important to know, know what's kind of happened in the portal in the last couple of days. Um, offensive tackle from Memphis enters the portal, a three-year starter, four-year starter over there, down there in Memphis, however it might be. He, this is a guy that would he would help Oklahoma out a lot. So him, um, we're monitoring some names here and there, but nothing's really popped up yet. Um, it's kind of crazy. You thought after the way things went, on signing day that Oklahoma would be at this point maybe hearing name after name after name. There's a couple. I could tell you Eric Gilbert, Oklahoma loves then the idea of putting him out wide and being able to help out in the passing game as a tight end transfer from LSU. The guy's named Eze I want to say is I'm gonna have to look up his name again, but I believe Eze is his way. So his last name, offensive tackle from Memphis. I was just mentioning, um, O O B I N N A, Obina, 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 Obina sounds Obina sounds better. Obina sounds just not Obi. O U and Obi is not going well. No, they do go well. Obo Obo Kronkwa. So, anyways, Obo, yeah, 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 true, 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 whatever. Regardless of my, uh, that's a guy that Oklahoma's gonna be true. They're gonna be after in the from the transfer portal, I think, from Memphis. Um, We're monitoring a couple names, but really outside of that, no, it's you know, it's one of those times of the year where you know we sit here and start talking about teams, and we start talking about this, we start talking about that. Oklahoma, 
I've gone through my normal every year where I normally do, where I go through my schedules. The first thing I do the offseason run, you can call me crazy about a week, two weeks after the season's You're over. You're an insane person. I go through every schedule in college football. Every power five. Ev- everyone or yep. just yep. power five? And I start collaborating of teams that could be surpriser. Like last year in January, I'm up here touting Florida that can win the SEC East. If not a pandemic happens, they probably maybe go to the playoff. Who knows? But this is that time of the year. Oklahoma's in as good position as anybody. Yeah. Like, like you look at their schedule, you look at who's coming back, even Parkins for Stevenson leaving. Man, they – it's hard to ignore it. Like, it's not hyperbole talking about it. And, you know, we're going to have people, you know, talking to us, talking to whatever, this, that, whatever. We're going to have people telling us Texas is going to have a chance to compete this year. They may. Um, you know, we're going to have, you know, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama shoved down our throats. They all get new quarterbacks. It's just – it's like, all you know, it's it, it's hard. It's like, I'm not going to sit here. I've already made the projection that Oklahoma is going to play Georgia in the, in the national championship game next year. But it's so it's just so hard to ignore the reality that Oklahoma may have a freaking chance to win this thing. It's well, crazy. Well, yeah. I mean, you go through the teams that are traditionally at the top in the playoff era, and Oklahoma's the team we know the most about just as far as what is returning on the field, nothing else, not the intangibles, Nick Saban, obviously, known quantity, stuff like that. But just what comes back on the field talent-wise – Oklahoma has like the the biggest chunk of promising guys returning, so it's hard not to have have your eyes on that, and uh, that's the standard. And look, I, I think it also doesn't you know help the fact that 2021's kind of been the year that everyone monitoring recruiting things like that have kind of said that's the year, that's the timeline. Well, Keegan, next year up, 2021 is here, and everything looks like it's fallen into place just as far as hypotheticals go. But, it, look, it's a long year. Don't want to wish this on anyone, but, you know, football is a, you know, blood sport. Things happen. Guys are in and out. Guys are, you know, you never know what's going to happen, personal life, stuff like that. So, But but in a vacuum, as things look right now, why wouldn't it be Oklahoma there playing for a national championship? That's Ryan Chapman, who is filling in for Brady Trantham. I am Keegan Renault the regular co-host that you all love and hate, probably love to hate. Well, you love him if you're over 100 followers on Twitter. Hate this him whole thing, This whole thing blown <laughs> out of proportion. So that's Ryan, Chapman. that's Ryan Chapman. I'm Keegan Renault. Brady Chantham will be back next week, I think, on the Inside OU podcast. We're at Vanessa House. Thank you guys so much. Um, don't forget um, the film reviews on Patreon. You can go do that. Um, we're going to have some really fun stuff for you this offseason. I'm going to have mistaken his name, and maybe Brody will put a plug in here, but I do want to say him as well because he's been responding to some of my tweets. David Schweitzer, I think that's how you say it. He Sound, does photography. He's great. Uh, I mean, sponsor, whatever he is of the podcast, he's great as well. So go check out his work on Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, again, this is a, an Oklahoma team that coming off a season where you think you know, you're not 100% sure. You're kind of worried about the offense more than the defense. It's weird. 2020 is over, though. I hope all you guys had a happy new year. I know we didn't really get into that on For the good last reason. podcast. It's probably a good thing we don't get into that. 
And um, yeah, I, I again, this is a, a, a team, and this is a, a program that it's it's well to sit here six, seven months before the season and think that they have a legit shot at this. And we'll get into that more as the offseason goes on. But for Ryan, for me, for Brady, for Vanessa, for that's Vanessa House. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week.